0: Hello everyone and welcome to en route the podcast where we talk about life along the way. And I am Dennis Sanders, your host. This episode is uh, basically a repeat. Um, it actually initially premiered three months ago in um, late April on the Interstate Highway System. It didn't get a huge amount of um, listenership. The first time around and um, I wanted to share it again especially because when it was initially um, run it was under one of the older names of this podcast um, spheres of influence and so we wanted to share it again under the new um, name of this podcast and I'm working actually on another episode uh, a little bit more on freeways here in America why they are not loved and um, how they can better fit into the urban environment. Um, it's a long shot. I haven't actually talked to the person I want to talk to about this, so uh, wish me luck. And I'm hoping that we can do another episode. But here now, we're going to be um, here is the interview I had with Rob Sanders, no relation. Um, who is a journalist and also uh, definitely a geek when it comes to tra- everything transportation? Um, I had a wonderful time interviewing him back in April, and I hope that you will enjoy this um, interview as well. So, uh, now let us hear from Rob Sanders. episode 15 of Spheres of Influence, the podcast where we talk about those important spheres in our life, religion, politics, and culture. This is Dennis Sanders, your host. Ever since I was a little kid, I've had a fascination with transportation. It really doesn't matter what kind of transportation, be it a plane, a train, or an automobile. I love them. I am such a transportation geek That um, as a teenager in the 1980s, I would spend hours looking at the Rand McNally Road Atlas. So, yeah, I'm I'm big into transportation. And the thing is, being from Michigan and um, having parents who worked for General Motors, it basically means I really, really liked transportation. And it also means that I have a special place in my heart for the interstate highway system. In some ways, this was a feat that is only accomplished by a few. And and the fact that somehow this country was able to put out 40,000 plus miles of roads that crisscrossed the nation, they were able to do that. And and that action changed America in many, many different ways, I think, for good and for ill, especially how it affected communities of color. Um, When freeways went through their neighborhoods. So in this episode, some of the questions we're going to be talking about are why does the interstate highway system matter? What makes it so amazing? Why is it so unappreciated today? And how are we learning from past mistakes as we build the freeways of the future? To answer those questions, I um, got a chance to talk to Rob Sanders, who, like me, is a fellow transportation geek. Rob is the creator and host of Rogue Eye Rob, a video, a web, and a podcasting platform that connects the general public with today's developments in transportation engineering. Uh, Rob is a Utah native, a 12-year veteran of um, public radio, and while he was a reporter, he basically was drawn to every transportation story he could get his hands on. And he was so interested in transportation that he went back to school to get a master's degree in civil engineering from Brigham Young University in 2018. Um, we, talked to, uh, we talked in this episode from um, his home in, in Southern California about the interstate highway system and its impact on the United States. So without further ado, here is my interview with Rob. All right. Well, thank you for joining me on Spirit of Influence. Um, I think the first question I wanted to ask is, what is what made you so interested with um, freeways? I um, grew um, originally from Michigan, and both my parents are auto workers. So I think that kind of came with the environment that I would be interested in that. but. Um, where does your interest come from?
1: Well, the freeways themselves, you know, I, I grew up, um, I was born in the mid eighties. And so as a five-year-old kid, the freeway system in Salt Lake city was getting finished. And I guess I just had good spatial reasoning or whatever. And, uh, so my dad for fun, when I was about four, uh, we were over uh, you know, probably about 15 miles from home and says, okay, uh, tell me how to get home. And I did pretty good. I, I told them, what freeway ramps to get on and stuff. Salt so Lake City's a grid, right? You know, you hit you have 35th, 39th, you know, all the all those different streets. And so I think that made it easy, you know, and you're a little kid in numbers and you know what number is your house. So and freeways are freeways are they're just so engaging and stimulating. it's it, it's I'm terrible at dancing. But if you think about it, driving freeways and around town and stuff, it's a form of choreography. It's dance. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's one I can do without, you know, stepping all over my feet. So, yeah, I I think that just, just, there's just, you know, nothing beats cranking up your favorite radio station or playing your favorite song and you're getting on a freeway Mm on-ramp. And it's like, and you're merging right at the crescendo and you're just like, oh, yeah, it's just sensory overload. So. I just kept digging into that and trying to make, figure out a way to make that uh, my life.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, I think uh, growing up as I did in the seventies, it was, I actually always loved chips. Oh, disco cops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing was I didn't really care about the plot of the show. I I loved seeing the freeways and, I have a friend who lives in San Diego. So the chance to get onto a California freeway, it's it's kind of basically it's it's a kind of transportation Valhalla, Um just oh yeah that way that it's just kind of fun.
1: People dog on LA freeways. It's a national joke, like oh yeah, the freeway in LA, you can walk faster. Try getting on the freeway at like 8:30 in the evening. Oh my gosh. Caltrans did just a well, maybe outside of LA County, Caltrans did just about everything right. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful. They're, they're, they're some of the best freeways in the United States. There's just too many people showing up to the party. I mean, you can have the yeah, best house yeah. party in the world, but if it's wall to wall people, it's like, you know, let's get out of here. You know?
0: <laughs> so that kind of leads then into the, the question about the interstate highway system. And, um, for people who don't know kind of the the background of it um would you mind kind of kind of sharing that background and then um what do you think has been the thing that has been the biggest benefit of the interstate highway system
1: i think every aspect of american life today is because of the interstate system we just don't see it right you know mm-hmm. hu- human mind we're really good at noticing the things that are broken and there's all the things that are right. I mean, things we don't think about every day, like the fire code that keeps you from burning your house down. We don't even think about that because it works. Mm-hmm. It's in the background. And that's that's the way the interstates are. Background on what the interstate system is, is um, a network of limited access highways, roads that don't have driveways on them or anything, that are designed to accommodate being able to go fast with no stops. If you think about it, there's not a single traffic light or intersection on an interstate highway, except for Interstate 180 in Wyoming, which isn't really an interstate. It's just a freeway off-ramp, but we will, ignoring that one, um, you can drive from Los Angeles to New York city. And theoretically, if you had a car that had unlimited fuel, you, you just, you could nonstop the whole way. But, um, and it's a system that is not federally owned. And, and I think this is really important when we get into the history of the interstate is individual states own their interstates, but there is some federal money to help maintain uh, the system because of, you know, trucks that drive between different states. You know, poor Wyoming. If if I stop and get gas in Utah, and then I drive my big rig truck through Wyoming and don't get gas again until Nebraska, and then I stick the wear and tear the bill on Wyoming, that's not fair. So we kick some federal money to, to help maintain it.
0: So it is truly a federal system of highways. Yeah, yeah federal
1: system owned and maintained by individual states.
0: And I know that part of the story involves um, a trip that um, future President Eisenhower took back in the, uh, the teens. Yeah,
1: well, way back then when the car first came out, engineers were looking at the car and they're saying, we need to probably do something because roads in America were terrible. They were built for horses, right? And the concept that you have to have two different kinds of roads, one for serving people around town where everybody's walking around at two miles an hour and through traffic going really fast. I mean, a horse could maybe get up to a gallop but you'd always slow down to a trot and eventually to a walk when you're in town, because the horse has to stop and get water. You need to stop and get something to eat. The concept that somebody's going to gallop through town and just keep going was, was new, but the motor car could do that. And the roads were mostly mud. And we just, you know, we didn't have any financing mechanisms to pay to pave roads. We didn't have the technology yet to pave them. You know, I mean, think about the old streets in London, they were all cobblestone and stuff. And so the U.S. military, wa- around 1919, wanted to prove that they could get troops from one coast to the other. And uh, there was an old road called the Lincoln Highway. Pieces of it still exist throughout the U.S. My hometown in Utah, our old Main Street, had signs up that said, this was part of the original Lincoln Highway. It was kind of ran about where I-80 is now, right? Okay, yeah. And... Um, the uh, problem was through the Midwest The stuff, the roads were OK, they were doing pretty good. But like when they got to the salt flats in Western Utah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the military got stuck, like the water table is so high because of the Great Salt Lake and it was just mm-hmm. so swampy, they almost gave up and turned around and just how would that be going back and saying, yeah, US military can't get across yeah, its yeah. own country. <laughs> and one of the soldiers on that trip was Dwight Eisenhower he saw this he says this is horrible so as you can imagine 1956 congress is sliding across his desk let's spend uh i can't remember the exact amount 25 billion dollars to build a system of interstate highways and at the time we we're scared of the soviets
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's, that's a pretty good sale you know? <laughs> and, and up until that point federal aid was starting to trickle in very early on gas taxes which I think it's very easy to misunderstand the gas tax and think it's just the government making a cash grab, but that's a big chunk of what finances roads. That's our user fee, right? Mm -hmm. The more gallons of gas we consume, the more miles we're theoretically driving, the more wear and tear we put on the road. And so there was federal and state excise taxes in the early years of trying to get roads built. And it was really piecemeal, right? It was like, okay, they did something in 1916. And that helped her a little bit. 1934, 1938, 1944, 1948, 1950, 1952, 1954, and finally Congress just said, "You know what? Let's let's go big." Like 1956, let's spend 25 billion dollars and build this autobahn-style system. Which, by the way, also has to do with Dwight Eisenhower too, yeah. because guess who is in Germany at the end of World War II, and he sees the Germans have invented this interesting road that has no at-grade access. The, 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 the freeway goes over or under the cross street with ramps. And uh, they bought strips of, of grassland to the side of the edge of the pavement so that the Autobahn owners, the, the German government could control who accesses the road. Because if the edge of the road touches your property, you can connect a driveway to it, get too many driveways, and pretty soon it's not a a highway anymore. You have to set the lower speed limits, and people are crashing into each other. But if you have that control, limited access control, you can do that. And the U.S. was starting to play with that. There was the the Merritt Parkway. There's the Pasadena Freeway uh, near L.A. And showing proof of concept that this could work. It's working in Germany. It's working in these others. Let's Roll this out nationwide. Let's put an interstate in every congressional district, so that we can get broad support to make it happen. And it happened.
0: Mm. And the
1: biggest was, public work, as I say, the biggest public works project in human history until China built their own expressway system that's bigger than ours.
0: And, well, I was going to say that was a quite a big undertaking um, for 1956, but that was actually just a big undertaking period um, to do something to that extent yeah
1: and it was a combination of it was the the era of post-world war ii greatness and big idea government i mean 10 years later you'd have uh uh, lbj's you know uh great society um fear of fear of the soviet union you know it just like it it was touching such a broad swath of americans that it was a very popular bipartisan idea and uh You're just, I don't think there was a lot of controversy starting the interstate system.
0: Well, one of the things that has been fascinating is in kind of learning is how, in some ways, it seems like the the interstate highway system is underappreciated in many ways. Um, And there are two examples from pop culture. And I think there are are examples you've shared in your um, YouTube videos. Um, The first is from the movie Cars, Um, and it kind of talks about the fact that a highway was built to kind of bypass the town um, and what that was, what that did to the town, and then um, Ufre and Roger Rabbit was the other one, and it just seems like in some ways, culture hasn't been as, or has lost maybe some interest in freeways. Do you... How? What would you explain for that change, or or is there really change, or is that kind of that you're just hearing, kind of the loudest voices and not, kind of the the wide public?
1: Well, Dennis, don't you think it's just the grass is greener on the other side, right? Yeah. Like like, you think of think about shopping. Right. We had our main streets, and then eventually we thought, well, you know, main streets—you're out in the rain and it's cold, and there's no place to park. So let's build these castles with plenty of parking surrounding them and it's air conditioned and it's nice we put fake plastic palm trees in it and that seemed exciting if we were alive 60 years ago 50 60 years ago we would have thought that was just the greatest mm-hmm. but now it's the other way around i go oh the mall that's where all the shoot you know people have shootings and your car gets broken into downtown that's where it's at go go to the old main street and walk around out in the snow that's that's where it's at right and so I think there's some cyclical, just by human nature, there there there's there's a middle ground somewhere that's probably an appropriate balance, mm-hmm. but but we we swing past it, you know, we go a little too far in each direction, and so it's probably the same thing with highways, right? You know, we we life before the interstates were was not utopia in cities. You yeah. had these, um, you know, it's not to say that there weren't highways. There there were highways with high speeds connecting cities but they'd sort of just dump on like the main street of your town became the highway. So it was like this funnel just pointed right at your, your city and sometimes disproportionately. So if you had a highway 66, which would go through the, the um, fictional town of cars, that's mm-hmm. um, you know, all the Chicago to LA traffic. And as that traffic level increases and increases, what happens is, you can't use your Main Street anymore because you have all the through traffic going through it. Yeah, it might be kind of good for business in terms of people, you know, um, you know, traveling customers. but it's also could be very bad because um, locals don't want to go shop on the Main Street anymore. Talk to somebody from Boulder City, Nevada about what it was like having highway 93, the road between Vegas and Phoenix before the Interstate 11 bypass opened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sure there's been some drop in um, customer, uh, traveling customer at, at, in businesses in Boulder City now that that bypass freeway goes around the town. But locals can actually go and use their main street again. And you know what? Mm-hmm. People could still exit the freeway and use it. Um, what I think would have really happened in the town of Cars is the business moves, right? So you had the hotel, the motel, like in the old town. The freeway bypasses towns and, and and if you look every town got bypassed right mm-hmm. the t- the towns that actually got in trouble were the ones where it didn't bypass and they bulldozed the town it went straight through but the mo- but those old aging motels which people wouldn't be wanting to stay at anyway because they were built in the 40s new ones best westerns and all it ends expresses and Exxons and burger kings and stuff popped up at the off ramps to the towns became highway commercial So it just changed the nature of the town. The the town still had business. It still had people to work in the hotels and work in the fast food places, but they moved. What makes the case of the town and cars different was it was such a big bypass. I think they they made it look like you had to go about four or five miles off the highway. Mm -hmm. Those towns got totally hosed. They they were just uh, in trouble. Um, But your average run-of-the-mill town, you can see it go to Google maps and and look out in the country and you'll see a highway go straight toward your town, toward the small town. And the highway lines up with the main street, but right before you get to the town, it takes a little detour off to the side and then comes back. And there's probably an off ramp on each side. And that's those towns, they've they've done fine. They just had to move their commercial activity around a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's basically seems like it's the thing of, things didn't as much weren't lost as much as they changed they moved or changed or kind of as you're talking about with the malls Um,
1: and they were going to change anyway you know buildings don't last forever
0: Mm -hmm. well and i think the other thing that's kind of interesting is that um two-lane highways and i think people will talk about how beautiful and how scenic they are and i think they can be um i also think that they could be dangerous um when I would travel with my parents um, to see relatives in Louisiana, probably the last ninety miles was a two-lane highway, and that could be a dangerous stretch with trucks and cars all doing about fifty-five miles an hour, and of course it, it's at you no know, grade, and there are no you know people could just jump out and all of that. So it's I, I agree with you that I think it there was a um, we kind of look at the past and this kind of rose-colored glasses way of looking at things.
1: Two, two-way 2 highway, lane highways are beautiful when you're the only car on it. Exactly. When you it, it, So here in California, you have Pacific Coast Highway, which is right on the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. And you have 101, and then you have Interstate 5, and then 99. If all the traffic going up and down the coast used PCH, it would be horrible. Nobody would take a trip to see it. It's because... Most of the time when I need to go up to Northern California, I'm on I-5. I-5's inland. It's not as pretty out there because it's the Central Valley. And it could be a workhorse and just move cars all day long. But every once in a while, and it's, it's now been over a decade since I've done it, but taking PCH, I can slow down, take my time, pull over, look at sites and enjoy it because it's not having to be both. And that's... The, the main streets and rural mm-hmm. highways and scenic highways. That's um, something we just have to take into account is in order for economic activity to happen, travel happens. Growth is not evil. We, we don't like accommodating the growth It it changes things. It's, it's not yeah. the same as when we were a kid and it makes us sad. We're nostalgic for the past, but the truth is it was going to be gone anyway because the growth happened. Mm-hmm. It's just either what, do we want to engineer something to accommodate that growth in a wise way? in a safe way or do we just dump it all into the old facility and say well good luck everybody Mm. don't crash
0: (laughs) well you talked about the fact that obviously there were some towns where they didn't do a bypass where they kind of bulldozed in and one of the things that i've um, have been fascinated by are those type of stories um here in in um, the twin cities the story that Everyone around here knows about is um, Interstate 94 in St. Paul, um, going through a neighborhood called Rondo. Uh, Rondo was a primarily um, African-American neighborhood. And um, in the late 50s and early 60s, um, they basically went through to build 94. And unfortunately, that seems to be have been a history um, throughout many places throughout the United States. Um, I guess my question is. Do you think that the government and other bodies have learned from that past? And what do you see as ways to rectify some of the mistakes that happened um, 40, 50, 60 years ago?
1: Well, the good news is we did learn from it. Mm -hmm. Building freeways in the 50s is a lot like smartphones and social media in 2008, right? was this new thing. We were all excited. We all jumped blindly into this new technology that we didn't fully understand the long-term consequences of. Today, we live in a world where we know there are some pretty sharp unintended consequences of smartphones and social media, and now we're maturing, and we're starting to put in new rules and new etiquette in our culture and you know trying trying to really drive home distracted driving and checking sources and, and things that we didn't we didn't even cross our mind in 2008 because things had always followed this old pattern and so I think the thought was we're well, putting in the super highway and it's going to be wonderful because it won't have traffic lights on it so theoretically it can hold an unlimited amount of traffic and it's going to save our cities because all of that congesting traffic will move on to it the trouble was, the way in a, a state plans a freeway now versus then are very different because there are, when you think about bureaucrats, there, there's things that we empower bureaucrats to do without checking with us because it, it's too menial. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hold a public meeting or have a referendum on the ballot about what brand of filters the, uh, Department of Water is putting in the system, right? That's, it's too meaningful. You don't have to have a referendum about uh, what brand of traffic signal controller we're putting in the cabinet. The question is how high up the chain does that go where it's a bureaucratic administrative decision versus something that we need to vet publicly and and discuss. And transportation is kind of interesting because where's that line? In the 50s, it was purely administrative. And so when it came time to to install a freeway, you weren't getting politicians involved. You weren't having public meetings. Engineers sat down, drew lines on paper that were most cost effective, looked like, okay, this is our best bang for our buck of being able to move the most traffic, solve the problem, and spend the least amount of money, Um, sometimes just drawing a straight line between point A and point B, no matter what was in the way. And uh, um, they'd send out notices, you know, now that they have this 1956 money, this this federal money that was a 90-10 match. Can you believe that? So, for every dollar the state put in, the federal government gave $9. So, so it was not costing the states a whole lot of money to build no. really nice stuff. And with minimal engineering, um, the the building costs were probably about half what they are now right and so the um they just sent out a, a 90 day notice so you, see so you get in the mail a letter saying hey department of highways uh wants to uh, is is acquiring your property for um a, a new highway and you just have to shrug it off and get your moving van ready and you know wait for the check and go buy another house
0: now, i didn't know it was like and, a, and, was it really something as as short as 90 days here some in, some in some cases,
1: I think wow. more so in rural areas. Okay. But but the problem was there wasn't a lot of looking at impacts because like smartphones in 2008, we didn't think there were any. Mm-hmm. I'm just putting a highway through. What problem could that possibly cause? I'm literally dumping a pile of dirt on top of the ground and putting concrete on top of it. What problem could that cause? Well, today with you know 60 years of hindsight, a lot of problems, right? Uh, you know, you could cut through a farmer's field and his barn is here where he stores his tractor, but mm-hmm. his crops are here. If you put a highway through it and there's no access for six miles in each direction, a farmer may just give up and just say, ah, i just sell the land, retire. It's not worth farming it. Yeah. You know? um, and in the case of cities, what often happened was the cheapest land were your most affordable housing was, was what got purchased. And you just come in. Um And a lot of, and I think even a lot of times that the buyout benefit wasn't benefiting the tenant because the tenant's just a renter. All they know is their landlord comes by and says, get out, highway's coming through and you're significantly reducing the number of affordable housing units in your community and not replacing them with anything. So now you have a shortage of affordable housing mm. that could put some families into a financial spiral that may would take them years or maybe never to recover from.
0: Mm. So that kind of, I know we talk a lot these days, especially about transit oriented development and, usually when we talk about that it's usually with light rail or some kind of other mass transit in the end today has there been any thought about development along freeways that you know where there would be more housing businesses i mean we see that kind of organically kind of happening um, through freeways but has there been now more thought about that type of development um, when a freeway goes through
1: It gets interesting um, because you end up having two completely different entities who are completely tied together. Mm -hmm. Land use, which is controlled by city councils, and highways, which are State Department of Transportation, and sometimes cities own them too. Engineers and planners should be best friends, but historically they've been adversarial because the way they're approaching the problem is very different. The engineers are often when they're putting in highways and things not looking at land use as much as they should and how changing the transportation will affect land use. And if you think about it, if, if the highway improves, the land becomes more uh, engaging and more um, valuable, more able to generate economic activity, which then generates more traffic <laughs> which then means you have to widen the road again, and you get kind of in the cycle. And I think up until probably about 25 years ago, engineers were almost naive of that. Now, there's a lot of talk of that with with engineers. Planners are a little bit religious in their hatred of the car. And partly why I went back to school and studied engineering rather than urban planning, and getting continuing on and getting a master's in urban planning is I still feel a car is an important part of the solution there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think planners can be a bit naive. I, I, I There was a um, classmate of mine who got a master's degree at a university I won't name. Um, and the professor walked to work and said that if you can't walk to work, you're part of the problem. Technically, he's right, but from a practical standpoint, can. Does everybody make a low six-figure salary like this tenured professor does and had the opportunity to buy his house in the late 70s when it was affordable? No. <laughs> and so because these two organizations, these two sides have historically not talked to each other, we end up with some land use stuff that doesn't always make sense. The United States in general has just really been against anything um, intense you know a higher density development because i think we we sometimes conflate in our minds oh well if they if we allow them to build a duplex next door uh skyscrapers are next down the line and it's like well you know there's 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 a range right and so because we 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 front loaded so much infrastructure and opened up so much land to make it developable with the interstate system we've been able to build single family neighborhoods on and on and on and on and on, but it's slowing down in part because a lot of the, the sweet, yummy land, the, the real prime spots, they're, 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 they're filling up. So now we have to kind of go back and rethink and say, okay, well, we have the biggest housing crisis uh, shortage, it affects me,
0: I, <laughs> I live say, with yeah. family because yeah.
1: I, I have a master's degree and I still you know, I'm living with family. Um, so how do we have this Herculean effort to add all this housing? and make it work with the transportation network? Do we build twice as many interstates and open up more land, but then have environmental consequences with it? Do we allow more development within cities and in existing areas, but then it changes the character of the neighborhood? You know. So um, the good news is the planners and the engineers are talking more. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited for what we can do the weekly city councils, because if you come in and you say, yeah, we're gonna allow more high density in your neighborhood, Guess what happens to the city councilmen and city councilwomen who get uh, who vote yes on the high density? It's like a natural selection thing, and then we're back to not allowing any new development. But uh, in my opinion, higher density near a train makes a whole lot more sense than near a yeah. freeway. Mm-hmm. Because if you put it near a freeway, then you put in a parking garage, and here, here's a, you know, a dirty little secret about traffic. Guess what creates traffic? parking spaces it is yeah because we start and end at a parking space but if you get rid of the parking spaces on one end downtown minneapolis right you probably mm-hmm. don't drive into downtown minneapolis because there's inadequate parking spaces which also makes downtown minneapolis great because you're not walking around what's basically a walmart parking lot yeah. right there's <laughs> there, there's this things close together and it's exciting and there's people and and then you get on the on the light rail and off you go But if you build high-density housing next to the freeway, you're putting in the parking garage. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: every single spot in that parking garage, Saturday morning when all the dads decide they're taking their kids to the zoo, guess where they're going? They're going on the freeway. So um, you put it next to a train station, you can have fewer parking spaces because enough of the residents may choose to only own one car. And uh, they'll do more of their trips using the train station that's already there. And it's a captive audience, right? You have all this, uh, all these people getting off the train. And it's like a customer base, and we're not, we're not absorbing that customer base and using them. But if you put high rise there, make a lot of sense. So, it it gets complicated. And then in the Bay Area, I know you had Sierra- the Sierra Club opposing high density housing near train stations, not because they were against the idea, but because they thought that if the state allowed high-density housing near the train stations, um, then people would oppose mass transit projects because they knew that high-density housing would come with it. it you know, see what I'm saying? Like it gets so convoluted and, 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 and things funny. overlap and so. I don't know. All I know is we have a huge housing shortage. The world is changing and we don't know where we're going.
0: Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I was interested in, and I've kind of looked over some of a report by the Congress for New Urbanism about freeways without futures. And I don't know if you've looked at that report. Oh, yeah. Um, and what's fascinating about that is, you know, they have these 10 freeways that they across the country that they think should be dismantled. All of them, it seems like the same, it's the same story. If we get rid of the freeway, there will be, you know, beautiful wide avenues with businesses and and apartments and trees and unicorns and all of that. Um, And I guess my, you know, are there advantages to getting rid of a freeway? And what are the downsides and, and, and how do you look at that realistically, because I, when I, I read through this, it didn't feel like it was realistic. Um, it felt more like this is what they wish would happen um, if they get rid of this freeway.
1: It all hinges on the removal of a waterfront freeway in Portland that was a mm-hmm. huge success um it was and and when i say freeway it's complicated it was like a really fancy arterial road that had grade separation it had bridges it had ramps but it wasn't built to interstate standards or anything okay um but it ran right along the waterfront quite often that's where highways went was because you're going well i could bulldoze the middle of the city or i could go like to the really to the edge and put the highway right along the edge sometimes that happened with railroad tracks too You know, that that's another discussion for another time of how railroads also divided communities as Mm -hmm. well. So we we've been here before. And what Portland did is they said, Hey, we have this really nice waterfront. And now that the interstate systems come in, we can build the you know, they built the 405 going around this way and the I-5 going around this way. Do we really need this one in the middle anymore? Right on the waterfront. And it's a state highway. And the governor said, Yeah, let's let's do it, let's get rid of it. And it was a huge success. They put in a boulevard with trees and a big park. I have played Frisbee in that park. It's great. So urban planners and new urbanists have looked at that and said, well, what other freeways have no futures? And to their credit, they're not running around saying, destroy all freeways. No. You know, I, yeah. as, as a young student in Salt Lake City, I'm picturing them saying, oh, well, we should tear down I-15. And it's like, they're not going to do that. I-15 is Seven lanes in each direction and carries a gajillion cars. And it's it's the main street for the entire metropolitan area. So I don't see them coming in and saying, yeah, get rid of the 94. We, we don't need the 94 in Minneapolis anymore. Just get rid of it. No, uh, they're pointing out some examples of oftentimes very short urban segments mm-hmm. that might not serve a purpose. One of them was in New Orleans. You have uh, New Orleans is like a triangle. You have Interstate 10 is like the two the bottom part of the triangle. And then I think I have another for you. I think it's the 610. Yeah. That goes right, straight right. across. The through traffic that's going coast to coast doesn't go down I-10 and back up. It just cuts straight across and keeps mm-hmm. going. So they were saying, well, okay, maybe we just call this whole top part the 10. And these little branches that come down that only save you a couple of miles of having to drive through the city. Maybe we just make those at least one of them. Uh, a regular boulevard, right? Rather than having people fly through this community, um, let's dump you down sooner. And then you have traffic coming by that can patronize the businesses. I would be a skeptic of it, except I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City had these big viaducts. Um, I-15 does a pretty good job of bypassing Salt Lake City off just far enough to the west that it didn't affect its core. But they had built these big east-west viaducts, one-way streets going, one going in, one going out. And they were really cool. I mean, as a kid, I just thought they were so neat because you'd you'd fly over about um, five or six blocks. And Salt Lake City blocks are massive. They're they're like a, an right, eighth right. of a mile. I mean, they're just huge. So you so you're flying for a mile or so, and then you take a big loop ramp down and, and you fly into the city, and it's it was really cool. When the state of Utah rebuilt the 15 freeway in preparation for the 2002 Olympics, they took a chance and had that viaduct drop, drop you off almost immediately. You cross over the railroad tracks, you drop down, and for many years, it just to me seemed like it was an inferior design. I was a new driver around 2001 or so, and and I go, man, I, I miss what it was like when I was a kid. You know, I could just fly through all this instead of having to wait for traffic signals and stuff, but I've watched it change. That area is now the, the, the hot up and coming um, the condos and everything mm-hmm. are going up the, the boba places and the ramen places and stuff. So it, it does work. And I think that's why people are excited about it because removing a small section of freeway that really doesn't, the, the benefit you get out of it is relatively minimal compared to the opportunity cost of keeping it you know of not allowing economic activity to happen on that corridor because there's no access to it to the land adjacent to the to the freeway um, makes just as much sense as so many other areas in this country where we really need a new freeway but haven't built it so removal play you know when the, when the interstate system came down no, uh, uh, um, Moses didn't bring them down on clay tablets. It didn't come down from heaven saying, thou shalt have freeways in these places and we shouldn't remove them. And I think sometimes we have that attitude. Oh, well, what will happen if we get rid of it? You know, Well, it's probably going to be fine. <laughs> and we get some neat things out of it. One example, though, that's really caught my attention the most is Dallas. Downtown Dallas uh, has like a little baby loop right around the downtown. And on the um, eastern edge, you have interstate, I believe it's 45, kind of ends at, at I-30. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's another uh, U.S. highway that's a freeway that comes off like this. And then there's a link in between that's only about two miles or something. But from downtown to the east end, there's a community called East Elam. Mm-hmm. that I think traditionally was more industrial that now is the trendy place with condos. It happened anyway, even though the freeways in the way. And I've heard stories of people who live in those areas who will take an Uber half a mile from East Ellum to downtown because psychologically that wall of the freeway being there, it, it, like, you know, I say, well, can't you, it's just four blocks. Aren't you going to walk? Like, well, that's all the way downtown. You know, I, people just don't get the concept that it's really not that far, you know. And so the there are urban planning advocates as the state of Texas is looking at this viaduct and it's, it's fallen apart. It's time to rebuild the viaduct and really pushing them to say, don't rebuild the viaduct. Have it just dumped down. You can put it onto an arterial street with trees and we can have all the same economic benefits and everything pop up. The problem is the traffic volume on that connector is astronomical and I don't I don't have the exact figure but I know it's in the six figures you know which for a highway is a lot. Now, it might be people reroute they they take the belt road around. They they you know, they just they, they change their commuting patterns and it won't be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But I think it poses a really interesting question. When the initial interstate systems went in, it tended to affect communities of color in part because of income. Those were that was the cheapest land. Mm-hmm. Now removing the freeway, could it affect communities of color because you have people in the suburbs, you know, that's not a community of color anymore. That's no offense, it's snotty trendy white kids, right, <laughs> who live in this community and now we're going to make this poor single mom who has a job on the north end of Dallas who she's just trying to drive her old 2002 Corolla to work and now we're going to make her go all the way around the beltway so that people can walk to the ramen place without taking an Uber. Mm. I got to be I got to be careful. It's a sensitive sensitive issue to bring up, but these are the sorts of again, unintended consequences we we really have to think through. The best of both worlds is what they did in Seattle. They took um, Highway 99, I I believe it was 99, which was a a old viaduct that engineers said would fall down in a major earthquake. Not might fall down, would fall down.
0: (laughs) And they demolished it.
1: Yeah, they demolished it and they put it in a tunnel underneath the uh, um, uh, underground. Which is remarkable because the ocean's like block away, right? And um, now they have the best of both worlds because you have this this tall tunnel that can carry the through traffic and they can continue to get the same benefit that they had from the viaduct while opening up the ground level. Boston's Big Dig was another example where they took the, the interstate, I think it was 93, and put it below grade. Unbelievably expensive, that's an option that I think some might be pushing in Dallas, like, well, OK, well, what if you went down? You know, um, yeah, another idea that was crossing my mind was downtown Portland has a freeway run through it, but you hardly know it. The 405 um, is not in a tunnel, but it's subgrades. you have the, the existing level ground and then they dug down mm-hmm. and the freeway sits here, allowing the cross streets to cross at level and they didn't break any of the blocks. So there's a lot of bridges. And by making it kind of tight, where it would fit within an existing city block and having a lot of bridges where you don't see the freeway and it's tucked down, um, they did about as good of a job as you can do tying the two halves of the city together. Um, and so maybe something like that could happen in Dallas. But it'll be interesting to, to sit back and watch because that one is not quite the slam dunk of, oh, yeah, tear it down. It's, mm. it's more of a challenge.
0: What about um, about the one of them that they talked about was I seventy going through Denver, and I know yes. there has been talk about putting that underground for part of it um, as it goes through part of Denver, but they're advocating instead just getting rid of it. Um, what do you think about that? Those that idea.
1: The ship has sailed on getting rid of it. Um, Colorado DOT has decided that they're going to rebuild it in place. In fact, I think it's already under construction. But they're trying to fix some things. So so one of them is it was an elevated uh, where they had fill on top of the existing ground and it crossed over. uh, Now they're going to excavate it and bring it lower. Um, I think one or two blocks will have a park, a cap on top of it where you go in a tunnel. It's similar to what you have in downtown Phoenix where you have the deck park tunnel where they built a continuous bridge for several blocks and have a park on top of it. And the idea is it gives um, a way to cross from one end of the community to the other of the neighborhood that's been divided for for 50 years um, without even feeling like you're going over a bridge because you just cross at the park. Um, But the theory had been, Denver, you have Interstate 70 going across, and then you have um, uh, 76 that that goes up to uh, Nebraska. Mm and then uh, the, the road to Boulder, and I can't remember its number.
0: US and so the theory 36?
1: was 36. Thank mm-hmm. you. And uh, the theory was that if you had, um, you took this this section of 70 that, that went through existing neighborhoods and closed it off and had all the traffic route up and then back down, you'd have one whale of a freeway interchange with I-25 here in the middle. But, mm-hmm. but that would be, it, it, I, I think I, I looked it up and it would add... Two or three miles to the trip. That's something else you have to take into account. Is, um, you know, lots of 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 energy efficiency. If if I seventy is a major route of getting freight from the Midwest to L.A. and stuff out of the port of L.A. to the Midwest, um, it might be not so great to to add several miles of fuel consumption that you're multiplying by hundreds of thousands of trips a day. Um, but that you know may be relatively minor, but um, but Colorado DOT they're committed. They're 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 going to go straight through, but they'll make some improvements so it won't be as much of a wall separating the community like it had been. Okay.
0: Well, one final question, um, which probably means a series of questions, but um, <laughs> I'll stretch it to an hour, Dennis. <laughs> um, What do you see as the future of the interstate highway system, I, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about interstate 11 and I know that there are several others that are being planned. Where do you see that going, Um, you know, the interstate highway system now is approaching 70 years old. Um, What's its future.
1: I think one thing that's a little disingenuous, transportation advocates will say, is they'll, they'll 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 that makes a good headline. The interstate system is seventy years old and it's falling apart, and we need a ton of money to to fix it. Now I'm always up for a ton of money because infrastructure is great. It, it, the Keynesian economics we always get like ten dollars of benefit out of every dollar we spend. Plus it's cool new toys because. Mm-hmm. I got to be alive in a time where the entire country is just the Autopia ride at Disneyland, trillions of dollars of infrastructure that I can get in my car and zoom, zoom, and drive around and see the country. But practically speaking, states own their roads, and it, you know, you go to, you know, Salt Lake City as an example. Utah's done a really good job maintaining their interstate system. It does not look seventy years old. A lot of it's been demolished and rebuilt, and so. To say that the entire system is is like gasping for breath, at least out west, is not true. Mm-hmm. Now, now you get to part some places in the Midwest where money's tight. I've heard Oklahoma's had some real problems with uh, structurally deficient bridges because there's a lot of bridges and not a lot of people to help pay to replace them, and they probably need some federal help. Um, there are, are um, communities that are more dense, probably in the Northeast. Um, I I haven't ever been to New York, but you watching too many YouTube videos of people just driving around, a lot of that infrastructure is gold. Yeah. And New York's priorities are trying to help people first. Mm-hmm. Infrastructure comes second. it's much better for a politician's reelectability to say, Hey, I'm gonna get in and help you. I know you're you're struggling right now. Let's let's help you with. Your 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 rent and your healthcare and other things that you need to survive than it is to say, Hey, I know you're struggling, but uh let's build a new bridge. <laughs> you know, that's that's cool, but that that's that's a harder sales pitch. But it is a necessity at a certain point because even poor people like me need to go across a bridge, yep. right? Yep. And so um I do think there will have to be. A federal, a a significant federal component in looking at transportation infrastructure. How that works out, I don't know, Um, but it, but it won't be to help out Salt Lake City, right? They've got a good tax base. They raise their sales tax uh, to pay for new transportation projects, but some federal aid wouldn't hurt. Even 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 Salt Lake City, which Utah is the only state in the country that has a unified transportation plan, they got everybody on board from all the different cities and agencies and drew up one unified document to to govern where they're headed in the next 30 years. But even with that, and even with a community that generally votes yes on sales tax increases and gas tax increases, they're still going to fall way short uh, of, of trying to even attempt address the colossal growth they're going to have. So if they're in that position, what about other communities that don't have as, as rich of a tax base, have older infrastructure, have more uh, um, community needs that they have to address first? That's going to take some federal help. So, uh, as I say, and, and along those lines, uh, you mentioned to Interstate 11, trying to build a, a interstate that ultimately will need to reach from the Mexico border through Phoenix to Vegas and eventually up to either Reno or Boise and on to Canada there's not a lot of people in that stretch to pay for it and right now every mile of state interstate 11 um has been pretty much financed like you would a normal um state state freeway and so it's a lot of it self-financed and and it's not that like Arizona, they're they've got a rough idea where they want to put Interstate 11. They're good to go, but trying to come up with Arizona money to build it's going to take some time. If you had the federal government come in and say, "Hey, we realize this is an interstate route. Here's ninety ten match money, build all of it," you'd see Interstate 11 happening tomorrow.
0: So, where do you see the you know the current um, infrastructure bill that's being proposed in Congress? Um, do you see that helping in some ways with some of, some of the, these needs?
1: Well, of course it'll help, right? Because Mm -hmm. even if I, and I, I, it's such a moving target right now, it's hard to know what's in it. Do they have interstate 11 money? If, If they do great, you know, well, I do think what is interesting so far of what I've heard about it is unlike the Obama era. Uh, s- stimulus bill that was trying to pay for infrastructure. That one was targeting shovel-ready projects. They just wanted to get people to work. Mm-hmm. And um, this one's more focused on saying, no, 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 let's look at like bigger picture stuff, stuff that might not be ready tomorrow, but we'll have the money ready for, for when this project's ready to get built. And so that that makes it a little bit different than what we've done before. But if it helps out with other needs, like let's say the the state of Arizona had budgeted half a billion dollars over so many decades to replace structurally deficient bridges, bridges that were getting old. But then the infrastructure bill comes in and says, we'll pay for all those bridges. They can reprogram that future tax revenue, that those future taxes people are going to pay toward I-11. So maybe they could issue bonds for I-11, build it, and then have mm-hmm. that tax revenue pay the bonds off. So it, it, it may be juggling. But it, at the end of the day, the more money you throw at infrastructure, the more infrastructure you get. Mm-hmm. So as, an, as, a, as a road guy, I'm supportive of all the money they want to throw at infrastructure. It's not my place to say whether that's our top priority or not. It'll always be my top priority. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I think that is where I go for the um, questions here. So this has been really cool. Um, this is great I,
1: nerding out about roads.
0: I know, because I, I don't know many other people who are are that fascinated with the interstate highway system. And
1: I should I should have worn yeah. my interstate hat. I've I've got these hats that I buy Etsy patches and iron them on. And I I didn't realize I, I should have from looking at your questions. I should have grabbed the, the 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 interstate hat. I need to get some Minneapolis ones. I need a ninety a ninety four interstate ninety four yeah. hat. Yeah, I haven't found a patch for that yet. If, anybody knows uh any more etsy shops that that sell more of these patches i uh
0: i will look into it so yeah <laughs> or, or the 30 i don't know it's if your you number one any, priority 35w like 30, or 35e e, um, oh those would patches. be great yeah, i'd love cause... to
1: have one of the ones that has the w or
0: the e mm-hmm. yeah so yeah last um when i went down um, to texas for the funeral that was actually something i was fascinated by of course is um where my family lived was south of fort worth so kind of seeing this new this other split of 35 you know a thousand miles down was was fascinating and cool so and texas yeah and i think it's a different- there, there aren't many splits like that yeah oh no, my gosh not texas
1: te- te- texas is is phenomenal what they built They've done it all through tolling, but yes. you know, infrastructure is infrastructure. They're kind of they're kind of hitting a wall with um, um, how far they can go with tolling. There's there's some pushback now because at a certain point, people are saying, "Well, if I'm paying the fee anyway, wouldn't it make better sense to just pay for it through a sales tax or through a road tax instead?" Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Yeah, I think. The video that you did on on Texas freeways, it, I think you are correct that it, it feels like this must have been what California was like in the '60s when they were building, um, because they just seemed to be new roads all over the place or new interchanges all over the place. Um, it's it's a quite a phenomenal um, feat to see what they're doing.
1: But well, you see them building a flyover, you know, one yeah. of the big left turns, it- people don't even think anything of it they're just like oh yeah, yeah you know building stuff you know and i'm sure that's what la was you know 1970 in the era of you know chips with stuff was getting built and they're just like, oh yeah another freeway you know they'll, they'll be building freeways forever right they'll never stop
0: and then california stopped <laughs> and it'll happen in texas too i i yeah. was surprised by the um what was it the 180 mile belt road around houston that that just <laughs> It's like yeah, um that's going a bit overboard there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but when you have single family development, this is true. What what do you do? Have people just sit at red lights, you know? So it it's it's serving a need mm-hmm. and Texas is becoming um the country's affordable housing solution. I don't know what's going on in Minneapolis, but I know I mean, California's been horrible forever, but Utah, the median they said the median home price now in Salt Lake County is 475. So people, people from Utah are leaving to go to Texas. Utah's don't leave. They're all they're all Mormons and their families go back forever <laughs> and they never leave. Huh. And people are leaving. <laughs> wow. It's wild. And so t- that where do they go? They go to Houston and Dallas <laughs> and stuff. And then you have to build the Grand Prairie Loop to, to accommodate. Wouldn't it be better to just figure out a way to accommodate affordable housing in the places people actually want to live in, in the first place? Mm -hmm. Texas Mm -hmm. is everybody's, unless you're a native Texan, Texas is your plan B. Nobody wants to be in Texas. It's just, it's a very attractive second option when the place you do want uh, gets too unaffordable.
0: Yeah. Minnesota is, you would think probably fairly affordable, but no, it's it's getting very expensive here and affordable housing as an issue is it's just a big issue. Um, yeah, so I think it's just everywhere.
1: Well, that's what happens when you don't build any houses for 10 years. <laughs>
0: yeah, that tends to so hopeful.
1: Hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get a bunch of stuff built. I hope so.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time. This was really cool. Um, yeah. Good, yeah. good, good to meet you, Dennis.
1: Good chatting with you.
0: Okay. And hopefully we'll chat again sometime soon.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. Reach out.
0: Okay. And I will send you the link to the podcast once it's all up and ready to go.
1: Well, I look forward to watching it and cringing at answers. I said <laughs> that I, go, Ooh, I shouldn't have said that.
0: <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, it was good talking to you. All right. You have all a right. good day. Okay. See you, Rob. Bye-bye. Bye. That was my interview with Rob Sanders, AKA Road Guy Rob. I really enjoyed the interview with him, and I hope to have him back sometime in the future uh, to talk about, hopefully, maybe more about the freeway, but also about other forms of transportation. Thank you for listening to uh, Spheres of Influence. If you can please leave a rating or a review on your uh, favorite podcast platform, that would be great. And you can also leave a comment at the show's website at spheresofinfluence.org. If you have any questions, please send an email uh, to uh, Denmin, D-E-N as in uh, the room in your um, house, M-I-N-N as uh, abbreviated for Minnesota. At gmail.com. I am working on yet another interview um, where I will interview an expert on the planned withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan and what that means for the United States, for Afghanistan, and for global terrorism. That's it for episode 15. Take care, everyone, and Godspeed.